0: we meet today in galatians chapter 3 verse 19 to verse 20 paul had been highlighting the fact that abraham was saved by faith and no one is going to be justified by the observing of the law but does the law not have a purpose still talking about justification by faith paul goes on to talk of the purpose of the law listen to what Paul has to say in Galatians chapter 3, verse 19. What purpose then does the law serve? It was added because of transgressions, till the seed should come to whom the promise was made, and it was appointed through angels by the hand of a mediator. The question is, what purpose then does the law serve? He is giving a purpose statement. What was the purpose of the law? Paul says it was something that was added. It was added because, or better still, for the sake of transgressions. And then we are told, till the seed should come. That little word till is an important word. An important time word, by the way. It means the law was temporary. The law was given for the interval between the time of Moses until the time of Christ. But it does not mean we can break the law. We read in John chapter 1 verse 17, For the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Christ. It is very important to see that the law was temporary. Until the seed came, or until the seed should come, that seed is Christ. The law was added because or for the sake of transgressions. It was given to reveal, not to remove sin. The law was to show man himself as being a natural, ugly, Crude, rude sinner before God. Any man who is honest will actually look at himself in the light of the law and see himself the one conclusion that they must reach is guilty. It was not given to prove that all men were sinners. Nor was it given, as many liberals are, would say, as a standard by which man becomes holy. No. You would never become holy this way Because first of all You can't keep the law in your own strength Many people think that man becomes a sinner When he commits a sinful act That is not true Man does not become a sinner When he breaks down and commits sin He breaks down a law Or until he has broken down a law Or until he has sinned This is not the way the scripture teaches Man is a sinner because he is a sinner. It is because he is already a sinner that he breaks the law, and that is why he commits sin. A man steals because he is a thief. A man lies because he is a liar. Now I find myself guilty of lying, although I blame it on other people. You see, I may leave my house in the morning and the first person I meet says what a beautiful day and I say yes it is when truthfully it is a terrible day. We sometimes just speak without thinking. I lie about it. Then he asks, How are you feeling today? Well to be honest, I may not be feeling very well, but you know what I say? I say I am fine. Just speaking those words even without thinking. Right there, in the first few minutes of my day, I will have lied twice. It just was natural for me to do that. It is natural for you to break the law. Some of us commit more serious lying than that. Why do we do that? We have that fallen nature. That's all. And the law was given to show that we are sinners. And that you and I need a mediator, one to stand between us and God, one to help us in our weakness. So the law had a purpose. Galatians chapter 3 verse 21 Is the law then against the promise of God? Certainly not. For if there had been a law given which could have given life truly righteousness, would have been by the law. If there had been another way of saving sinners, God would have used it that way. That's basically it. If he could have given a law by which sinners could be saved, he would have done so. But there is none. Galatians 3 verse 22. But the scripture has confirmed all under sin that the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. Now, we have seen that the law brought death. The soul that sins shall die, Ezekiel chapter 18 verse 20. The scripture has confined all under sin, therefore all died. What is needed, therefore, is life. We have seen that the law brings death, which is all that it can do. It is not actually the degree of sin, but the mere fact of sin that brings death. Hence, all are equally dead and equally in need. You may not have committed as great a sin as some dictators and some big-time criminals, but you and I have the same kind of nature that they have. It is not the degree of sin, but the very fact that we are sinners. It is that which brings us death, and we need To repent, we need to come to God through this only avenue that can make us justified before God. Actually, let me illustrate this fact of sin and not the degree of sin. I would like you to picture a building which is about 24 stories high. There are three men on top of the building, and the superintendent goes up to see them and warns them, Now be very careful. Don't step off this building or you will be killed. It will mean death for you. One of the fellows says, This crazy superintendent is always trying to frighten people. I don't believe that if I step off this building, I will die. So what does he do? He deliberately walks to the edge of the building and steps off into the air. Suppose that when he passes the tenth floor, somebody looks out the window and asks, well, how is it going? And he says, so far, so good. It's going very well. But my friend, the truth is he hasn't arrived at the bottom. There is death at the bottom. The superintendent was right. The man is killed. Now suppose another fellow becomes frightened at what the superintendent said. He runs for the elevator or the steps and accidentally slips. He skips right off the edge of the building and falls to the street below. He too is killed. The third fellow will say he is thrown off the building by some gangsters because he is their enemy. He is killed. Now the man who was thrown off the building is just as dead as the man who deliberately stepped off and the man who accidentally slipped off the building. All of these men broke the law of gravity and death was inevitable for all of them. It is the fact, you see, and it is not the degree. It is the fact that they went over the edge. They all broke the law of gravitation. Now, my friend, that is so true. The fact that you are a sinner, you have the sin nature, condemns you. The question is, can the law of gravitation which took them down to the death give them life? The law of gravitation cannot give them life. The mosaic law cannot give you life any more than natural law can give you life after you have broken it and died. You cannot reverse the situation and come back from the street below to the top of the building and live, as it is done, maybe in some movies that are just put in reverse. Death follows wherever sin comes. The law of sin knows nothing of extenuating circumstances. That is the way it is, my friend. It knows nothing about mercy. It has no elasticity. It is inflexible, inexorable, and immutable. God's word says, The soul that sins shall die. Ezekiel 18 verse 20 To Adam and Eve in the garden of Eden, God said, But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. Genesis 2 verse 17 And in Exodus chapter 34 verse 7, he says that by no means clearing the guilty. He will not let the guilty go unpunished. Therefore, all have sinned, and by the law are all dead. The law slew us. It is called by Paul a ministration of death. 2 Corinthians 3 verse 7. It is a ministration of condemnation. The law condemns all of us. Can the law bring life, my friend? The law can no more bring life than the fall from a high roof can bring life to one who has died by that same fall. The purpose of the law was never to give life. It was given to show us that we are guilty sinners before God. Galatians 3 verse 23 But before faith came, We were kept under guard by the law, kept for the faith, which would afterward be revealed. Now, until the Lord Jesus Christ came, the law had in it mercy, because it had a mercy city. It had an altar where the sacrifices for sin could be brought and forgiveness could be obtained. Mercy could be found there. All the sacrifices for sin pointed to Christ. Before faith came, Paul says, we were kept under the law, kept under God by the law, kept for the faith which would afterward be revealed. Galatians chapter 3 verse 24. Therefore, the law was our tutor to bring us to Christ that we might be justified by faith. Now, Paul is making it very clear here that the Mosaic law could not save. Romans 4 verse 5 tells us, But to him who does not work, but believes on him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is accounted for righteousness. God refused, you see, to accept the works of men for salvation. God says that all of our righteousness are as filthy rags as revealed in Isaiah 64, verse 6. God refuses to accept law-keeping. The law cannot save. It can only condemn. It was not given to save sinners, but to let them know that they were sinners. The law does not remove sin. It reveals sin. It will not keep you from sin, because sin has already come to you. The law shows that man is not the way maybe Hollywood would portray him as, as a sophisticated, refined, trained sinner who can escape even some of the devious plans. No, man is actually an ugly sinner in the raw. Now, I want to use a homely illustration which may be very useful uh, in communicating the point here. Let's use the homely illustration of your bathroom. In your bathroom, in the morning I hope you go into one, there is a wash basin and a mirror. That wash basin serves a purpose, and so does the mirror. When you get dirty on your face, you go to the bathroom to remove it. Now you don't use the mirror to remove the dirt, do you? If you see a smart spot on your face and you lean over and rub your face against the mirror and one of your beloved ones see you doing that, they will call a psychiatrist, a doctor to say, come and see what is happening. They will put up an appointment to find out what is wrong with you. Why? Because the normal thing is not to act like that. None of us would be so silly enough to try to remove dirt with the mirror. The moment you see dirt, you then use the wash person. Today, my friend, multitudes of people in our church are trying very hard and rubbing up against the mirror of the law, thinking that they are going to remove their sin. The word of God is a mirror which shows us who we are and what we are. That is, we are sinners, and that we have come short of the glory of God. That is what the law does. It reveals it to us. But we thank God beneath the mirror, there is a basin. There is a basin there. And the hymn writer, William Copper, puts it like this. There is a fountain filled with blood, drawn from Emmanuel's veins, and sinners plunged beneath that flood. Loose all their guilty stains. Now, that is where you remove the spot, my friend. It is the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ that cleanses us from sin. The law proves man a sinner. It never makes him a saint. The law was given, as Paul says in Romans, that every mouth might be stopped and the whole world become guilty before him. Romans chapter 3. Verse 19. Now, Galatians 3 verse 25 says, But after faith has come, we are no longer under a tutor. Now, the word tutor here is the Greek word pedagogos or pedagogus, And it doesn't mean school teacher, by the way. Tutor here is a good word, but it meant something quite different back in the days of Paul. It meant a servant or a slave who was part of the Roman household. Half of the Roman Empire was slave, by the way. Of the 120 million, 60 million were slaves. In the home of a patriarch, a member of the praetorian guard or the rich in the Roman Empire, were slaves that cared for the children. When a child was born into such a home, He was put in the custody of a servant or a slave who actually raised him up. He put clean clothes on him, he bathed him, he blew his nose when it was necessary, he paddled him when he needed it. When the little one grew to a certain age and was to start to go to school, this servant was the one who got up in the morning, dressed him, and took him to school. That is where he got the name Pedagogas. Paid has to do with the feet, you see, or pied had to do with the feet, and we get our word pedal from it. Agogas meant or means to lead. It means that he takes the little one by the hand, leads him to school, and turns him over to the school teacher. Now, this servant, the slave, was not capable of teaching him beyond a certain age, so he took him to school. Now, what Paul is saying here is that the law is our pedagogus. The law said, little fellow, I can't do it anymore for you. I now want to take you by the hand and bring you to the cross of Christ. You are lost. You need a savior. The purpose of the law, you see, is to bring men to Christ, not to give them an expanded chest so they can walk around claiming they keep the law. You know you keep the law. All you have to do is to examine your own heart to know that. Do you keep the law? Are you able to? Galatians 3 verse 26. For you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. Now Paul is going to show in the remainder actually of this chapter and in the first part of chapter 4 that some of the benefits that come to us by trusting Christ that we could never receive them under the law. The law never could give a believer the nature of a son. Christ can do that. Only faith in Christ can make us Sons of God. My friend, even if you kept the law, which you could not do, your righteousness would still be inferior to the righteousness of God. Sonship requires His righteousness. The New Testament definitely tells us, but as many as received Him, to them He gave the right to become children of God, to those who believed in His name. John 1 verse 12 We are given the power and the Greek word for power is exhaustion, meaning the authority, the right to become the sons of God by doing no more, no less than simply trusting him. A Pharisee by the name of Nicodemus, religious to his fingertips, followed the law meticulously, yet he was not a son of God. Jesus said to him, you must be born again. John 3 verse 7. Now, I want to be dogmatic and very plain. Neither your prayers, neither your fundamental separation, your gifts, nor your baptism will ever make you a son of God. Only faith in Christ can make you a son of God. The most damnable heresy today is even the universal fatherhood of God and the universal brotherhood of man. The Lord Jesus Christ once looked at a group of religious rulers and said to them, You are of your father the devil, and the desires of your father you want to do. John 8 verse 44. Now, I did not say that. It's gentle Jesus that said that. Evidently, there were some people in his day who were not sons of God. And my friend, I think that the devil still has a lot of children running around in this world, and even some of them coming into the church. They are not all the sons of God. The only way you can become a son of God is through faith in Jesus Christ. Galatians 3 verse 27 For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. Now, I hope you realize that this verse is not a reference to water baptism. Water baptism is ritual, and I feel that is for every believer. Also, I believe that the mode of water baptism should be by immersion, because immersion more clearly pictures real baptism, which is the baptism of the Holy Spirit. The baptism of the Holy Spirit places you in the body of believers, Paul says, For by one Spirit we were all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, and have all been made to drink into one Spirit. 1 Corinthians 12, verse 13 This means that we are identified, we are put in reality and truth into the body of believers, the church the church for as many of you as have been baptized into Christ have put on Christ you see God sees you in Christ therefore he sees you as perfect but only in Christ Galatians chapter 3 verse 28 there is neither Jew nor Greek there is neither slave nor free There is neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. You see, in this body of believers, the church, there is neither Jew nor Greek. In Christ are no racial lines. In Christ are no sex lines. In Christ are no cultural lines, color lines. Any man in Christ is my brother. And I don't care about the color of his skin. It is the color of his heart that interests me more. It is only in Christ Jesus that we are made one. It has been such a blessing for me to meet people from different races and be able to fellowship around the person of Jesus Christ. We are brothers because we belong to God's family. We are one in Christ and we will be together throughout eternity. This is true for free men and slaves, men and women, all of us. And my friend, just to hear what the final verse of this chapter says, Galatians chapter 3 verse 29. And if you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. What a blessing. What an opportunity. We are Abraham's seed and it is according to the promise. Whose promise? God's promise and God is faithful. You can have copies of the notes and outlines used for these Living Word for Africa programs so you can follow them as you listen. For your copies, please send an email to info at twrafrica.org. Please say which book of the Bible you want them for and be sure to include your name and contact information. Let me repeat that email address for you. info at twrafrica.org